0: Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com.
1: Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanishev and John Palmer, this is Brew Strong.
2: Aloha. Good morning, Bruce Strong.
3: <laughs> oh, good morning, Bruce Strong. Yeah. I mean, it has
2: the right cadence to it. Yeah, I like greetings, cretins. Well, you know that's that that's is you. Nice. Yeah, that's nice and easy. You that's, know, did I ever? That's you no, no, that that? What? I got the nice and easy award when I was in college from the, from the our little sisters in from the, the sorority. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> that's great. Your wife doesn't listen it. to this show, does she?
2: No. Uh-uh. Alright. <laughs> the upside of having a wife that isn't really interested in beer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the nice and easy. Mr. Nice and Easy. That's what yeah. we, should, we should call you. Mr. Nice and Easy. It's your new nickname. Nice and e nice and easy. John N. E. Palmer.
2: <laughs> oh, well anybody, anybody needed help on their homework? I was the guy.
3: You were nice and easy. And where's the easy part coming? <laughs> anybody needed uh, port in a storm? <laughs> <laughs> a little a uh, little late night action after going out drinking? You're Mr. Easy at that point?
4: Yeah. yeah let's use to...
3: the, let's use the nice guy. Yeah, will probably be easy.
5: <laughs> yeah.
4: John gave new meaning to the word cranning. <laughs> Isn't he some help studying ladies? Let's do some cramming
3: Ah oh, yeah I'm sure our uh, our fine sponsor John blickman uh blickmanengineering.com
4: <laughs> he knows all about cramming Oh he's a smart oh, guy
3: yeah I, I'm sure he's uh college educated yeah absolutely and uh, as a matter of fact uh he wants to be educated even more by our our wonderful listeners. He's asking he's going to be doing it not that he needs any any. Education, but he is going to be doing a presentation at the uh, at the uh, NHC, NXT. yeah, in Minneapolis this year, uh, 2010. And uh, he is uh, doing a tips and tricks to set up your own home brewery. And uh, you know, he got thinking about all the the tips and tricks that he could give out, and you know, he could go on and on about uh, all the great ideas he has for improving, uh, you know the brew day but he also wanted to get uh you know the listeners involved and he wanted to get your feedback as well and and ideas you might have and make this not just blickman's you know uh prescribed way of brewing but you know great tips and tricks uh from everybody and he realized that uh you know you guys out there are pretty creative and uh clever and ha- would have some great trip tricks and uh techniques and uh you know, anything for organizing, designing, planning um, your brewery layout, making your your brew day more uh, more uh, pleasurable, and uh, you know, uh, getting more efficient. So, uh, if you have any smart, and cool ideas for organizing your brewing area, let's say you know space is an issue or planning your brew day, shortcuts for for cleaning, sanitizing, things like that, send them to NHC twenty ten at BlickmanEngineering.com. So, NHC and then the number is 2010 at BlickmanEngineering.com. So, I want you all that are listening to uh, send at least one or two ideas you have. Even if you think, oh, no, this is so simple. Everybody's thought of this. This is, you know, when I did the Whirlpool Chiller, I'm like, well, you know, why hasn't anybody thought of this? This is pretty simplistic. You know, nobody's, nobody else's, you know, why, why hasn't anybody thought of this? Apparently, some people had, but nobody was talking about. It. So, turned out it to be a handy idea. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you got ideas like that as well. Even just a, uh, you know,
2: anything, no matter how simple, you should uh, go yep. ahead and, uh, and send to John throw Blickman, and yeah. he'll yeah. compile these and present them at the at the conference and to lots of people that are interested in the same kind of ideas.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> while you're at it, thank him for uh, sponsoring the show. Blickman engineering uh, they you know make all the fine equipment. Well, <clears throat> they're peeling off the bucks uh, every show to uh, make sure that uh, you don't have to pay for this. They're taking care of the tab for you. So uh, the least you do is uh, send them a thank you and uh, check out their gear at Blickman dot com. Go to a local brew shop and say uh, hey, you know uh, you carry uh, Blickman Engineering gear and uh, you know, check it out. Uh, anything from that uh, sweet, uh, revolutionary uh, beer gun, which we'll be talking about in a future show, to uh, you know their top-tier systems. John, you're brewing on top-tier system. What, what was the last That's thing certain. you
2: brewed? I uh, did a Vienna on it. Ah, very yeah. nice. Very nice. Yeah, good beer.
3: Well, then you must have got the uh, recipe from Brewing Classic Styles.
2: Uh, you, I did, as a matter of fact. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: I mean, <laughs> started out.
2: You know, I can't make the same thing twice, so I always got to mess uh-huh. with it. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So even though it was a genuine Jamil recipe, I, I had to turn it into a Palmer recipe.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, that's what's important, that you enjoy your uh, your brewing day. That's right. Day Brewing's
2: that you, fun. That you, yeah,
3: that's a chance to be creative. That's what I love about it. Well, it's a chance to be geeky, too, and that's uh, part of what
4: this show's about.
3: And, that's right. Uh, Justin, do we have a, uh, a topic for today?
4: We do have a topic today. Um, I hope I get it right this time. Brad Jerkins from uh, Ames, Iowa wrote in, and he wrote in about making a yeast library. It's something that's come up before. He says, uh, Jamil and crew, I've listened to almost every episode of Bruce Strong, and I like to think it's really improved the quality of my beers feel like I have the basics down now, and I'd like to try my hand at some more advanced projects. Uh, one thing that's really interested me lately is uh, yeast storage. I like the idea of being able to have a library of any yeast I want anytime I want it. Slants, plates, distilled water, glycerin, what's the best way for long-term yeast storage and propagation?
3: Ah, good, good, good question, and, and one that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, yep,
2: you're the you're the yeast whisperer these days
3: yeah, yeah well, and you know i I maintained my own yeast library for quite a long time and uh then I kind of let it go and uh kinda you know i've found a few new interesting strains, and I'm really interested in i think uh maintaining myself especially now um that uh, that yeast book's done it got me real fired up again about getting improving my yeast lab a little bit more and and being able to uh Uh, do some more advanced storage. So, uh, let's start here. Uh, John, give me a definition of, uh,
2: you know, what's a yeast library? It's um, a collection of slants or plates that you have um, gathered from uh, commercial beers or commercial breweries um, or previous fermentations that you felt went particularly well. Mm -hmm. And um, these... These slants or, or uh, plates can be uh, kept refrigerated and uh, kept for quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm.
3: And so, but why do this? What's you know? What's the whole purpose? Well, can I just go out and buy whatever yeast I'm going to use? I go out, pick up yeah. a pack of uh, of uh, y Yeast or a tube of uh, White Labs, and I'm off no. running.
2: No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. If you say so. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeast is uh, – it's a living organism. Uh-huh. It uh, adapts to an environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, you can go out and buy, you know, y yeast and, and uh, White Labs and get, you know, strains, you know, f- uh, real good strains from commercial breweries and, and for particular beer styles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's say – well, when, whenever you do that, though, you're getting a – you're not getting – just a uh, a type of yeast, you're also getting a particular strain of that yeast. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, um, let's say, uh, you're getting uh, uh German uh, Hefeweizen yeast, and let's say you've cultured that from a, a bottle um, of genuine German Hefeweizen, um, it's going to be subtly different from the same uh, variety of yeast from, say, White Labs or... Uh, why yeast? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was grown under different conditions. Um, it was harvested at a different time, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 kind of drilling down to um, a real a, another level of detail mm-hmm. in your brewing. Mm-hmm. You you can you know brew with yeast off the shelf, or you can say I really like this example of this style. You know mm-hmm. particular brewery's example of a style, and say. I want to clone that beer, Mm -hmm. and so the best way to do that is to culture up their yeast, because that is going to, you know, that's going to get you the farthest along to matching the yeast character of that beer.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, and (laughs) there's also uh, thousands of beers, thousands of yeasts out there, right? Right, and you can't buy all of them. You know, at any given time, uh, you know, uh, White Labs, Y Yeast, and any other yeast suppliers only giving you uh, a small slice of their entire portfolio. There are, you know, other yeasts out there that, you know, there's just not enough interest in the the broader market, maybe, for uh, those to be offered, you know, year round or at all. And maybe you get your hands on one of those strains and then, uh, you know, you want to be able to brew with that. You'd you'd need to, you know, add it to your library so you'd have it available. All right, uh let's do this. Let's take a short break and when we come back, uh we can get into, you know, the equipment you use and uh stuff like that. All right, back after this.
1: Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong.
0: When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with five-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible
1: features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his tail wagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all-day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home.
6: Where were we? You stole an oak barrel from the mist of Ravenwood and Lord Zinfandel the Avenger is in pursuit.
0: Do you drop the barrel and run? Hell no. We need it for a flint or shred! I'm gonna cast Pediacacus Damnathus on the barrel.
6: Sorry, your ghosts are imprisoned in his
0: winery forever. Ugh, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. It sucks! What do we have here, Orville Rodenbach? Buzz off, guy! We got a brew session going. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th-level beer nerd. Are you a 10th-level beer nerd? Do you get a long-lasting foam stand when you think about wheat malt? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping. Only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the pre-prohibition lager. Perfect for steampunk. And the single hop best bitter. Now on cap and 10 forward. Make 10th-level. At northernbrewer.com.
6: You know what you feel like. Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah!
1: <laughs>
0: Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. Woo! It's the Brewing Network.
1: Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Pro Strong.
3: All right, we're back. We're talking uh, yeast library. So let me let me recap real quick. Uh, the library is a long-term storage of, of yeast cultures, right, John? Yep. And then the purpose being you know, the why is... Well, uh you can have on hand cultures that you can use for your brewing that you may not otherwise be able to get commercially or they've mutated right. over time and you particularly like it. Maybe it's uh, yeast you've developed from your own backyard and you want to yeah. work with that. Okay. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, in many cases you may <clears throat> be a, uh, a you may brew a particular style in you know, one of your favorites. And you've taken California Ale, for instance, and repitched it several times, and you notice that you get a unique fruity character from uh, your repitched yeast that you don't taste in your friends' beers that use Cal Ale. You know, so you've 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 uh, evolved and mutated, you know, Cal Ale to your home brewery. I mean, to your style, and it's become a unique. Uh, offsuit of, of mm. Cali or a unique strain of Cali, and you you know you want to keep that and be able to repitch that same uh, state of that yeast over several batches. If you keep you know repitching like harvesting of the yeast cake and repitch that and repitch that, it will continue evolving. But when you uh, take a sample of uh, yeast cake and store it on a slant. Now you've kind of stopped its evolution process, and you can you can build up a starter from that slant, and uh, and perpetuate a single strain, you know, of a, mm-hmm. a a one spot in time in the in the evolution of that yeast.
3: Now, what about uh, the equipment you need to do this? What how how extensive is the equipment?
2: Well, it's it's all readily available. Uh, you, it helps to have a uh, small gas burner, a Bunsen burner. Um, you need a selection of petri dishes or test tubes. Um, you need some agar. Um, what else? Uh, a couple of needles. Loop. Yeah, inoculation uh, yeah, loop. You make out of stainless steel wire or other wires. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's about it. Okay. Or am I am I missing anything?
3: Well, that's basically it. So you have uh these uh slants and plates are used to you, they're filled with uh, agar and uh and uh, malt extract uh media right and you uh use these to grow up the yeast on these in uh, individual colonies right so you're starting right. out with uh uh, one of the things you need to do is uh, ensure that you're working with uh, pure culture techniques uh, in order to uh, kind of isolate the, uh, the, the cells you're working with. It, it, it could be helpful, I guess, to have a, a microscope, hemocytometer, things like that, if you want to do cell counts and maybe, uh, you know,
2: check viability.
3: Um, you know, you'd, you'd have some, some
2: uh, stains as well. Um, tell, tell the folks what a hemocytometer is. Is it a big machine with lots of vacuum tubes and yes, electronics? Yes,
3: yes. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> um, it's it's just like a slide with a little chamber on it or two chambers on it that are divided up into these microscopic little grids. And uh, they use it for, for counting blood, you know, hemocytometer, right, for counting, like, blood cells and stuff. And you um, – so it's a little glass
2: slide with a grid on, yeah. it.
3: yeah. And you just uh, you dilute your yeast down to a certain concentration, a certain approximate concentration, and then you you let it uh, uh, you let the uh, yeast travel up underneath the uh, into the to fill the counting chamber. And you look at it under a microscope, and you count the the number of cells in the different grids, and then you uh, multiply out times whatever dilution factor you did, and that tells you how many cells you have in your in your yeast slurry. That's how you determine like cell counts in a uh, in a given pitch of yeast. Uh, but it's uh, useful also. You can look at the uh, you can even do it without a hemocytometer with slides, and you can uh, you know do uh, staining for bacteria. You can do staining for viability, things like that. So it's uh, kind of handy, um, yeah. and you could buy the uh, all this equipment for uh, doing this uh, yeast culturing uh, pretty pretty cheap. You can buy pre made uh, slants and plates. Uh, it's nice if you can do it yourself because you know the the pre made slants and plates that I've purchased haven't been of <laughs> the best sterility. Anytime you buy some, uh, you'll want to set a couple out. In a warm environment, you know, room temperature, or, you know, if you want to incubate them, you know, between around 80 degrees for a couple of days and see if anything grows on them. Uh, If so, then the whole batch is suspect. And if you make them yourself, you want to do this as well. Um, If you're going to make them yourself, you're going to need essentially an autoclave in order to sterilize uh, the various uh, uh, media that you're going to use okay and uh you know and and you buy pre-sterilized uh plastic plates and slants and things like that which make it a little easier cheaper uh let's see all right so that's essentially the equipment you know stuff that you'd also need uh stuff i guess that you're you're going to grow your yeast up in right Mm -hmm. you're going to need uh you know um, smaller uh flasks or vials to uh you know, do little mini starters as you're growing the yeast up in in quantity as well.
2: Yeah, and all the, all of this equipment is available from like Moore Beer and Northern Brewer and mm-hmm. some, a lot of the larger homebrew shops, right?
3: Right, absolutely. And yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's it's pretty common stuff. So uh, pricing is not not too expensive. You could get started with this uh, pretty cheap. It's nice to have a uh, a little uh, test tube rack as well. You know, for your slants. Uh, makes it easier to, you know, set a bunch of slants rolling around. When I was doing this, you know, you quickly end up with, you know, 60 or so tubes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if they're just all rolling around, it's a big pain, so uh, you put it in there. Now, if you really want to get into extensive uh, long-term storage and you want to do freezing or something like that, then it's better to get yourself, like, some uh, little cryo tubes or some little uh, uh, micro uh, uh, centrifuge tubes. And uh, microfuge tubes, they call them, and uh, like a one and a half mil or two mil, and uh, use those to store the yeast for for freezing. And if you you know if you get a centrifuge, uh, if you have access to one, uh, that's uh, nice also because you can uh, do a little bit more efficient storage by getting rid of the uh, spent wort. And
2: it's too bad they don't make um, centrifuge attachments for your washing machine. <laughs> Yeah, something you could hang some test tubes from inside and then hit spin cycle.
3: I imagine you could. You know, the the trick is getting it balanced. Yeah, it depends on how many RPM it is. You know, if but the lower the RPM, I think the less you have to worry about you know, killing somebody with pieces flying off. And so just the yeah. and the the farther away from the the center point of the where it's spinning, the more gravity, more G's you're pulling anyway. So at a lower RPM. You don't need a really high RPM if you're further out from that center point. And you only need, uh, I think, uh, what can you stand? What, 1,500 uh, Gs, I guess? Something like that. That's your max, mm. which is really pretty low. Those little cheap desktop centrifuges that you can find on eBay, um, just about any single one of them will work. Mm. Um, because as long as it spins, and <laughs> it'll hold the, the tubes, it'll work because... Um, you don't need a lot of uh, force to, uh, um, you know, uh, get the yeast to settle at the bottom. You don't want to use too much force because you can, you can kill the yeast as well. So uh, that, uh, you know, if you're going to freeze, you know, some glycerol uh, and uh, pipettes, things like that. Uh, it's pretty, pretty... Uh, still pretty reasonably priced. You really don't have to. Uh, and we'll get into that more when we get into
2: the, the individual storage settings. Yeah, I'm thinking, that, uh, I'm thinking that I should uh, tell John Blickman to uh, come up with a, a centrifuge unit that you can you know, attach to your Makita. <laughs> your Makita, yeah.
3: You know, they, they, have, they still have uh, hand crank uh, centrifuges. I mean really? that's 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 how centrifuge started. There was like a mechanical crank with a couple of arms that raised up. You know, you'd hang your stuff on the two two uh, balanced yeah. arms, and then you'd turn this crank, and uh, just like a hand drill, and you know the thing would spin. And uh, centrifuge, and they still have those, and people use them for I don't know what they're using them for. Making, Egg beaters, yeah. <laughs> making butter. I don't know. Um, anyways. Uh, uh, so that's a possibility. All right, let's let's continue on here. <laughs> Getting sidetracked. Uh, all right, so where do you get the yeast that you are going to put in your library?
2: You kind of touched on this, but uh, what what are the the possibilities? Well, you you can get them from commercial beers that you really admire. Um, some cases, you know, there is if the beers are filtered, there is not going to be much yeast, you know, to harvest. But uh, in bottle conditioned beers, mm-hmm. or uh, you can often find. Um, you know a layer of yeast on the bottom that you can you can harvest from um the thing to be a, be aware of is that a lot some quite a quite a few commercial breweries that uh bottle condition their beers use a different yeast strain uh for bottle conditioning than they do for their main fermentation mm-hmm. so you may end up getting you know just their their priming yeast culture rather than their uh, house yeast culture, right. you know. But check their website; they'll they'll often talk about that. Or you know, check mm-hmm. the forums. People often know about these things and can can fill you in.
3: Well, and that um, that brings up a, a good point. I think that you want to uh, any yeast that you're going to use, if you're going to store it and all that, and commit batches of beer to that that strain, you're going to want to do some test fermentations first before you do a larger batch. So, oh, yeah. you can make yourself up a, a liter of wort and do a small fermentation with that and. You know, check to see how well it attenuates, whether it flocculates. Uh, you know, as much or as little as you want, uh, and that the the flavor seems appropriate to what you're expecting. If it doesn't, yeah. you know, so like John said, check saying, for
2: contamination too. Right,
3: you, you're gonna you're gonna have to ensure the the purity of the yeast. One of, one of the things that uh, a lot of people do when they start getting into the idea of uh, uh, you know making their own yeast library is oh. I can go ahead and you know bank all the yeast that uh, I can get from White White Labs and from y Yeast and uh, I'll have all these on hand. I don't need to buy yeast anymore. Ah, uh, sure. In theory, you could do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a couple of problems. One is, you know, the more yeast strains that you decide to store, the more labor it is. At maintaining a strain of yeast is labor. It is. It's not just. Oh, I'll you know store it, throw it in the fridge, and then a couple of years from now I decide to uh, brew with it. It's all ready to go. Not quite. Um, you know, at at warmer storage temperatures, you know, um, you're getting more mutation. So in the fridge, you get a mutation. The, the commercial uh, yeast uh, uh, manufacturers they store theirs in a minus eighty C. Um, refrigerator, so you know the yeast are, you know there's very little mutation over time. Anything warmer than that, and the warmer it is, the more rapidly mutation is going to occur. So you know that's that's one of the, one of the issues. The other is. You know, when you store things uh, the you set cold, you know you're going to get some die off, and you know you need to reculture these things. You need to grow them up. You need to do test uh, fermentations, to make sure that they're still they're still fine. Um, you know, especially if you're storing plates and slants, you're going to need to reculture these every you know few months to make sure that uh, you know you still have a healthy, decent uh, uh, strain, and it's not mutating off in some weird way. And not making the uh the beer that you want later on, yeah yeast so,
2: ranching's not all not about just sticking it in the closet or sticking it in the back of the refrigerator mm-hmm. it's uh this is a whole other hobby practically
3: right yeah it it absolutely is that 's a good way to put it you know you'll you 'll give up brewing several batches of beer at least in order to you know maintain uh you know a handful of uh, cultures so what I did initially was I did that very thing. I was like, well, I'll just you know bank all these yeasts And when I quickly realized it's like, wow, what a, a huge amount of work this is. And why am I doing this when the yeast labs are uh, they will uh, you know they actually um, you know reculture it and they, they have very specific performance requirements and they make sure that the yeast you buy uh, you know, that you bought last year, you'll get the same fermentation performance from it next year, you know, five years out, ten years out when you go out and buy one. um, It's exactly the same. If you're to store your own yeast, you have to put that work in to ensure that next year or five years or ten years down the road, you're going to get the same performance out of it. And if you don't do that work, there's a good chance that you won't. So uh that's that's one of the things to to look out for. So what I like to do is um only focus on the strains that are very difficult to obtain. So strains that aren't commercially available. Strains that I've collected that seem unique and I can't find a matching one commercially. Uh those are the ones that I want to uh that I want to maintain. Now um you know maybe a gray area is like the uh the uh the platinum strains from white labs or the vss strains from uh uh yeast where they're only available you know once every few years or you know once a year that might be one that you want to you want to store if uh, uh you know if you can't get it regularly again uh you know and the nice thing about that is you're starting from a pure culture uh you know you're you can be pretty darn certain that the yeast that they're providing is uh is nice and pure. So, let's say we're getting a, uh, a yeast from a. Let's say I, I have a bottle of beer from somewhere, and boy, the yeast character seems really unique. And I'm pretty sure that you know I can't buy this commercially, and I want to uh, store this yeast. What's the process, John, that I go through to ensure that I have the right yeast? from the bottle I mean there could be multiple strains in there or there could be you know some contamination in there like you mentioned earlier how do I ensure that I've got a pure culture that I'm going to store
2: well this is where you uh, take your equipment your inoculation loop your plate
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you take all your clothes off and run around with the yeast on the plate yeah you streak the yeast on the plate and um, but and look it under the microscope, and look for you know s- um, single cell colonies. I mean, or you know, colonies that are are homogeneous. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is where really where the the microscope comes in handy because by looking at the plate and uh, to backtrack by for streaking, yeah, by streaking, smart smart gay yeast,
1: that yeah,
2: mean by streaking on it streaking. The yeast on the plate. What you're doing is you're taking your inoculation loop or your needle and drawing a line across the agar mm-hmm. with the yeast, mm-hmm. and you're, you, you'll put a drop of yeast on the agar and, and draw a line with it out across and do kind of fan out several lines of the yeast mm-hmm. and let them grow. And you can look at these yeast on them these streaks under the microscope and look for homogeneous cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want them to be. Uniform shape. You don't want the uh, small, you know, petite mutants. They're called mm-hmm. small cells. Um, you want uh, cells that look uniform, look healthy, look plump, mm-hmm. and um, those are the the healthy cells that you want to you know harvest and start a starter from to mm-hmm. grow them up to it, to you know to brew with.
3: Right. Uh, so so. Uh, you know, there, there's a, a couple of techniques on uh, on on the the slants and streaking the or the the plates, and the 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 purpose is so you'll see, um, you know, putting a drop on a diluted drop of uh, yeast culture, not a thick drop of yeast, but uh, it's diluted. You put a drop of that water there with a, a few cells, and then streak them out in that fan shape, or. Um, you can, uh, you know, run your – you dip your loop in something and then you run it back and forth in a zigzag pattern. Then you rotate your, your, your plate 90 degrees, do a zigzag pattern going across some of the, the lines of the previous uh, pattern. Then you do it again and run it out. And the, the whole purpose of this is that you end up with uh, individual colonies grown up from a single cell of yeast, so you want those single cells spread out so far apart on that plate in the end that they have room to grow up into full colonies of yeast which have, you know, uh, you know, a million or a billion cells or whatever it might be. Uh and and you can you can start seeing those colonies appear. And when they grow, um, you know, colonies with dents in them, uh colonies that look uh shiny or slimy. Um odd-colored ones, um, and colonies uh, that—so you may see, you you know, your average size colony. If you see some that are smaller than others, like John's talking about, uh, that was perhaps grown up from a a petite mutant uh, uh, cell, and, uh, you know, it has a respiratory deficiency, and it's not able to grow as well as uh, a normal cell. So those colonies will be smaller. Uh you don't want colonies that were, you know, gotten too big or too small. You want uh the nice, average, consistent, creamy looking, uh you know, good uh round uh shape to them. Uh and and those are those are the colonies grown up from a single cell. So that's a pure culture technique. And you would harvest that and um you know, if you're not sure that the yeast you've collected is going to produce the flavors that you're looking for, you harvest that, you grow that colony up in, uh, um, you know, if 20 mils of, uh, of a starter wort, and then uh, you grow the, you step that up to a larger size, maybe uh, 200 mils. You grow that up, and then, you know, you do a a small test batch of beer. Uh, you know, a liter, a couple of liters of beer and see if the flavors are what you're looking for. And if that's the case, you can go ahead and then, you know, use the the, the result of that as uh, you can plate that out again and then use those cells to uh, for your storage purpose. So you can store them on the plate. Um, or you can, you know, store them in other uh, other ways. And we'll get into that in a bit. But that's kind of how you ensure the the purity of what you're storing is by isolating them out into single cells on the plate and then testing that, making sure that it's correct. And uh, that's, that's how you uh, ensure that you're not mixing with your bacteria or wild yeast or multiple strains. Now, sometimes you might have multiple strains in a beer, and that's why that beer tastes that way. And, um, you know, one of the things you'll want to do in that case is, you know, select multiple colonies off that plate. You know, randomly select 10 and do 10 test batches and see if they all taste the same. Then chances are, you know, you got and they all look the same and they all taste the same. Chances are uh, and all the colonies on the plate look the same, then, you know, it's a single strain. If you're getting wildly different tastes, then, oh, these are, you know, it's a mixed strain, and we've got uh, multiple yeasts here. And then you'd have to decide, you know, uh, banking them both or, you know, what you might do at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, anything to add on, on again, on uh, ensuring purity of, of the of the culture that we're storing?
2: No, honestly, um, I was wondering to myself what Bub and Blobberglop would think of all this you know these procedures uh that we're rattling off you know the the streaking the turning the uh, uh et cetera. Et cetera. I, I feel i just have a feeling they're taking this the wrong way
4: the important stuff yeah <laughs> they're confused
3: <laughs> uh, how does my streaking have anything to do with yeast <laughs> i got that cleared up with medication yeah uh all right so uh and again, yeah selecting the the yeast that we want for storage um, you know like I was saying uh you know once you've done these test batches and you're sure of what you're what you're actually storing uh you know that's 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 part of it and and picking the colonies like John was saying, you're looking for those weird uh shaped colonies uh you know if there's a dent in them, you also don't want to select two colonies that are adjoining um you know, that that can be an issue as well. You want a uh, colony growing up uh these uh, pure culture techniques. And and actually if you search uh search the internet, search, search Google and look up uh pure culture technique. Um it's actually uh you'll find a bunch of stuff on pure culture technique. It's been around it's, a long
2: time. Yeah, it's it's the old quality in, quality out, you know, um thing. You you can by doing by doing these using these techniques, mm-hmm. you uh get Better quality you you decrease the chance of contamination in selecting and, and growing up this yeast mm-hmm.
3: well this is what Hansen used to isolate the first lager strains uh, mm-hmm. this is you know kind of revolutionized things development of pure culture techniques and and applying that to to uh, the yeast and allowed uh, people to you know, be more selective in, as what they're putting into their beer and, and using to, to ferment beer. Before it was, uh, just scoop out a bunch of yeast, you know, throw it in mm-hmm. there, and, you know, you're getting everything, including bacteria and all that. And until before that, you know, people were drinking uh, beer that, you know, had some souring to it probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, with that invention, it's like a really cleaned up beer. So you essentially need to do the same thing if you're going to maintain your own yeast. One of the nice things about working with – uh you know the remnants of a smack pack or a vial is, you know, what's in there is is quite pure already. So, uh, yeah, if you were to just go off of that, I I think that's okay. You know, you could uh, pitch your your package of yeast and then uh, you know take your loop and dip it in there and then streak it out on a plate and uh, you know that's good for uh, for at least a little while. You know, well and. and and that brings up uh, my next question for you, John. Is how do the storage? Me- what are the various storage methods? Let's let's kind of cover that first. What's the the common okay. ways of uh, storing uh, yeast long term?
2: Okay. Well, um, refrigeration helps. Mm-hmm. It helps slow down the metabolism of the yeast. Um, the when you when you're doing uh an agar uh plate, um if you you know if your if your sanitation is good and your sterilization is good on a plate, um the yeast will survive on that agar plate for about a month. Um that's at uh, you know room temperature. Um if you or sorry, no not room temperature, at refrigerated temperature. Um if you really seal it up well, you know, and protect it from oxygen, um, it will it may keep up to a year. Um, you go from the plate to a slant, which is like a test tube. You know, um, you improve the uh, storage life by uh, three months, refrigerated as is, and then if it's really sealed well, um, one to two years. Well,
3: and one of the things about um, the, you know these storage times. Again, one of the the reasons that you know the commercial uh, labs are able to store their yeast for long periods of time and not have them change is the storing of minus ADC. The the warmer the the big problem with a lot of these storage methods because I I see people on the on the internet they're like, uh, well no I gotta you know. Slurry of yeast, and I used that two years later, and it was fine. Oh, I got plates that, you know, they're good for, you know, five years down the road. Oh, the yeast is fine. It's like, well, you know, you may still have living yeast in there. And like John's saying, if you seal uh, up your plates or your your slants, uh, you know, you can use um, uh, vinyl tape. I like to use, uh, you know, electrical tape. Uh, It comes in many colors, and it's great for sealing up uh, plates. Or you can use parafilm, which is what the labs Mm -hmm. use, but it's a heck of a lot more expensive than vinyl tape. It's like a wax
2: tape kind of thing. Yeah,
3: and a stretchy sheet. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, vinyl tape, you can buy it down at, you know, your home hardware center. And, uh, you know, you can use that to seal up the edges of a plate, and that plate will stay nice and moist uh, and... uh, for a long period of time but the problem is you know as as culture as those colonies grow uh they're mutating you know mutations will occur over time so that's you know the the drawback you will have living yeast but you can't really be sure that it's the same yeast that you started with and that's why colder temperatures are better and and certain storage methods might be better
2: how are we doing on break
4: time justin it's always break time to me, okay. uh, but if you mean for the show,
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what you need to feed the cat, uh, shake, the, shake the dog, yeah, and uh, have a beer. All right, well, let's take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll get more into uh, storage times. Back after this.
1: your carboy cap on this is brew strong we'll be right back
7: do you support the brewing network do you brew your own Are you looking for an economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zalesha and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard, and polish your style accuracy with Jamel. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash Brewing Network, or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own, the how-to homebrew beer magazine. Hey, what are you doing,
6: man?
0: Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet and send there you go you misspelled flocculate dude what Ah, uh not a f- white labs it's all in the vial
6: hi this is push from the brewing network and i want to tell you about the brewmaster's warehouse and how you can get 10 percent off your next order i'm a pretty techie guy but i've never seen an online store like this it's awesome Brewmasters Warehouse and the brew builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BNARMY in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. com. Cheers. <laughs>
0: an Army members. Are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollertower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate chips and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit nicobrew.com. That's N-I-K-O brew.com. For your hops and more, nicobrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. This year, More Beer wants to introduce you to some of the amazing staff that bring home brewing innovation home to you every day. This month, Concord showroom manager and award-winning brewer, John Plize is here to tell you about the top five gadgets he can't brew without. Number one, yeast starter. So crucial to have active, healthy yeast going. Decreases
3: lag time, you have a healthier ferment. Number two would be our oxygenation assembly. Oxygen is really important for cell growth for your yeast. Third would be a the zinc source that your yeast needs for a healthy fermentation. Fourth would be a wort chill. I really enjoy the uh, CounterFlow Convoluted Chiller. It's compact and gives me the best control as far as cold break. Fifth would be the Moorbeer Conical. The new improved one with the sealable lid. It's pressurizable. You can inline filter. It's got a tri-clover lid on the top. You can repitch your yeast.
0: It's got a huge blow-off tube. The functioning of this new Moorbeer Conical is, is far superior. All of John's favorites are on sale this month only. Hurry to morebeer.com or visit the Concord Showroom for the best innovations and people in homebrewing. Morebeer.com.
4: You're listening to the Brewing
1: Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong.
3: All right, we're back. We're talking uh, yeast, uh, long-term yeast storage, or building a yeast library, and and long-term storage is part of that, right? Um, Right you were saying earlier uh with a with a slurry you know if you keep reusing it and and you keep it healthy and all that uh you can you can go ahead and and brew with it but you're going to get mutations if you're trying to maintain uh you know a yeast that's providing you great uh, fermentation character exactly what you want you want to store that as mutation free as possible over the longest period of time possible so um you can, and that's uh, where these techniques using. come in, right? Right. So we were going through uh, various uh, methods for storing. You've got your slurry. You could put them on a plate, and if you seal it up, like you're saying, uh, it's going to last longer. Still, you know, mutations is the limiting factor in any of these because I've had plates where there's, I think I got plates that are like five years old, and there's still living cells on there, but. I would never think of using it for brewing. Uh, slants are a little bit better because uh, they, they tend to be sealed better. Uh, stabs is where you have a slant, uh, and a slant is like a, a tube, a test tube full of of uh, uh, the malt agar. That's they let it solidify at a at an angle, so you got a broader surface in the tube, and you put your yeast on that. You seal it up, and the and the if you're buying test tubes uh the the ones with little gaskets in the seal uh are better you know with the screw on lids and then uh you can always put a piece of tape around that or parafilm around that to, to again to exclude uh air from it a stab you're just taking your cells and jamming it down into the uh into uh some agar, agar in a in a tube you do it standing straight up so it's a flat surface on the top but the Part of the usually you do stabs for growing things that uh, grow without uh, uh, oxygen, and it can increase the life a little bit more because it's not going to grow as fast without uh, the air there present above it. And one of the interesting things when we're working on the yeast book, um, I don't know if anybody knows, but I was working on a yeast book with uh, Chris White, White Labs. And uh, I was looking into some of the uh, the stuff that I haven't really messed with a whole lot, which was uh, water immersion and oil immersion. So uh, uh, I think it was Hansen, uh, many years ago, he uh, made some cultures and in test tubes. And what you do is you remove all the... Um, all the sugar, all the stuff that they can use to grow, all that the cells can use to grow, right? All any other materials. You just pure cells. You rinse them nice and clean, centrifuge them, rinse them, and then you store it in uh, in water, uh, yep. and in a test water. tube, sterile, and uh, right. And then he stored these cells. On a bookshelf, next to the window, the sun would come in during the day, and it would get cold at night, and the seasons would change, and, you know, it gets really cold where he's at, and, you know, uh, really cold in the winter and warm in the summer. And 14 years later, there were living cells in in that culture. And you're not talking a huge amount of cells. You're talking just a a tiny little drop of of yeast cells. You barely see it, barely visible the bottom of the tube, and then, you know, a few mils of, uh, of the sterile water. And uh, so there were living cells in there. The problem with this is, you know, certain cells will break down, and then that's food for the other cells, and, you know, you might, uh, again, you might get some, some mutation as well. So but water immersion uh, would be one, and so by limiting nutrients... You know, the these the plates and the slants provide nutrients to the yeast because they're they're made with uh, the wort sugars, right? And that's part of how they grow on those. By not giving them nutrients, they're actually more stable. They yeah. can last longer. I was thinking
2: I should we should expand on that a little bit. You know, because yeast are a living organism, um, they're very adaptable. You know, they they try to, you know, yeast really try to adapt to their environment. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're pitching to a particular um style of beer and you're you're repitching that yeast you know the the yeast are are doing their utmost to evolve and adapt to you know to uh, reproduce as well as they can in that environment same thing when goes when you're trying to uh store them for long-term storage if you give them you know a a small set of resources to work with they will try to adapt to those resources and that's where if you're if you're storing the yeast in beer you know you're just kind of pouring off uh some yeast slurry at the end of fermentation and a lot of beer mixed in and some dead yeast cells and so on uh and you you know and you're storing it cool but you're not really you know keeping it really cold in the refrigerator you know the yeast are going to try to adapt to that environment, and they're going to mute and that's what we we're talking about when we're talking about mutation is that they're going to you know undergo some real changes to try to uh, cope with that environment. The more you can do to isolate them from nutrients and from oxygen, the more they'll, the, the more they'll stay the same. There won't be enough you know nutrients and resources for them to make any changes. Mm-hmm. you know they just they they they're more st- they're more stable that way and that's where that's where the the agar and the low temperatures come in is that we're trying to really minimize the environmental stresses on the yeast and keep them as stable as possible now probably one of the best storage methods is um you know making a slant
3: and then uh putting sterile mineral oil covering enough mineral oil to cover Uh, The slant, no. So no matter what angle it's in, it's uh, the yeast are always under mineral. And what that does is uh, prevents uh, the oxygen from getting to the uh, the yeast, and it actually extends uh, the shelf life as well, and and mutation free shelf life as well. Um, And then I read up on uh, desiccation, and you can actually take uh, like uh, you know filter paper, and you put the yeast slurry on there, put it in the fridge it sucks out, you know, the fridge is a, a real low moisture environment. And sucks out all the moisture and you end up with this dried yeast. And um, the problem with that, uh, though, uh, you know, some people, you know, claim long storage times, you know, three to six years. The problem with that is uh, that process actually encourages mutation. So uh, not, not considered a, a really uh, a good way to uh, store your yeast. And then um, professional frozen, you can you know they can store those indefinitely. That's uh you know at minus eighty C or minus hundred and twelve Fahrenheit. But the home freezer, I think that there's something to be said for the home freezer.
2: Now, um, do you do you have to do? I mean, do you have to use the oil immersion method? With a slant for home freezer to get the water out. Uh, no. Um, you know
3: what? What you end up doing for the home freezer is, um, you know, you can you can use, uh, you know, glycerol, and uh, you know, no, I used is that to,
2: the same as glycerin that you can buy at the at the at the, the drugstore?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want you want to use a a, a, a food grade glycerin, um, just to be sure. <laughs> You know, uh, you never know what, what could be, in otherwise, um, so, so you're going to need a, a sterile glycerol. Um, you need a uh, a uh, uh, some sort of a, like a broth uh, solution, and you need uh, you know your little m- microfuge uh, tubes. Um, a centrifuge would be good, uh, though it's not not really that critical, I guess. Uh, some pipettes, uh, and uh, what's good is a small styrofoam box and uh ascorbic acid that was another one that uh, uh that can be helpful, so what you essentially do is you uh you you grow your uh, your you, you pick a, a colony and you grow it up in in ten mils of uh of a media for forty eight hours and the one of the, one of the things you're doing is um you know, your your growth is done before that, but you're letting the yeast sit in there for the 48 hours to let them build their glycogen reserves at the end. Mm-hmm. And then you move this culture to about uh 40 degree Fahrenheit, 4 degree C, uh, you know, refrigerator temperature. And you hold that for another 48 hours, and then that allows the yeast to build their uh, um, triolose uh, content, right? Again, uh, for
2: storage right that's a, the triolose as is, is kind of like um the the fur coat of a bear when it goes to hibernate it's it really helps them of uh protect them against stress glycogen is kind of like the fat reserve and uh the triolose is a is a kind of a stress protector
3: mhm and then uh so then you'll you'll resuspend the uh the 10 mil culture you shake it back up uh resuspend you know it's a fancy lab term uh, shake it back up, get all evenly mixed, and then you're gonna pipette uh one mil of that to one of these uh microcentrifuge tubes, right? Uh, ah, one and, and a half mil or two at? mil, right? And uh you'll you can centrifuge this for, for three to four minutes and then uh you'll have liquid on top and a little pellet at the bottom. You decant the liquid and you're gonna replace that with uh when they're doing commercial freezing, they use fifteen uh, percent uh, glycerol and uh, uh, a eighty five percent yPD solution and that uh, and then they'll they'll resuspend it and that's what they'll freeze it at at ADC um, for the home freezing now this I found really really interesting there's um some recent research and I guess it' was, uh, that uh, you know, maybe the way to do it is not to freeze the yeast. Because once you freeze the yeast, it's, you know, the freezing does damage uh, some cell. of the cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you actually, if you can increase the glycerol to 50% concentration, you actually, um, at uh, the minus 20 C that you may have in your, in your regular fridge or freezer, right, uh, the yeast won't won't freeze, and one of the problems with using your own fridge freezer is that it has those freeze thaw cycles that uh you know frost freezer has right, but if it doesn't freeze, it's not a big deal, so by using a higher glycerol concentration and not freezing the yeast, they can withstand these swings it won't kill the yeast off yet you're still getting the benefit of minus twenty c you're not it's not minus eighty. But it right. should be, in theory, far more less prone to mutation than you know at four C or you know. Uh, you so know, how much how much time are we talking here? Like a couple of years? You should be able to get a, f- a couple of years. Um, you know, it's going to depend on your uh, your uh, your how well you prepare. Yeah, me. how well you prepare things and and the condition that you used to start with. You can add also uh, one gram a liter. Uh, uh, Ascorbic acid uh, into the solution, uh, just a little bit in there, and uh, uh, that will also uh, prevent uh, oxidation of the yeast. I believe so. There's all these uh, interesting little uh, tricks for possibly storing this, and then you put these in the you put all your cryotubes in a uh, in the uh, styrofoam box, a little a little a small styrofoam box. You could you could make your own. Uh, just make sure to seal it up uh, well uh you can make it out of you know some sheet styrofoam uh from whatever you get and you put that in your freezer and that actually helps uh slow down the the cooling and the uh and the warming of the of the cultures so it keeps them a little more stable uh you don't want to f- freeze them uh, uh excessively fast in this case okay and that works uh supposed to work uh, really well so uh, I'm, I haven't really uh, tried this new non-freezing method, so uh, I'm excited to give it a try. So I actually got myself a, a new centrifuge. My old one was <laughs> uh, points
2: up. So, does your wife know you have that? Uh,
3: I don't know. You know, I, I got it. It came. I opened the package and jammed it in, into the uh, into the lab area before uh, <laughs> before she could see it.
4: Smart man. man. Yeah. That's a man who's been married for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, But I'm sure she walks by and she's like, uh, you know,
3: someday she's going to. So, what's that thing?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Centrifuge. She's been there a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Someday she's going to walk by the lab with a calculator and start adding up all the little devices you have. Well, Well, you know. People
2: uh, gave that to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. eBay
3: is your friend for this stuff. Yeah. You can get this stuff if you're you're aggressive. But a Centrifuge. The kind of centrifuge I have, uh, it's a little more pricey, but
4: you do do a lot of your uh, shopping on eBay, though, right? For different oh, yeah. equipment and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Always you can, find good you, deals. You can do really well. Uh, I get a great microscope off of eBay for uh, under
3: two hundred bucks. I mean, you know, a thousand dollar microscope. That's uh, amazing. You know, it's perfect condition. So, um, you know, especially now, a lot of labs are being closed out, uh, going out of business and stuff. You can get all sorts of great stuff at uh, reasonable prices. Shipping is usually what kills you on this lab stuff because it's heavy. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's see. Um, so, this is some of the storage methods. And, you know, don't worry if we're, we're going kind of fast through this because it's a very detailed, complex uh, process. In, in and a lot Chris of ways. White's
2: book's coming out. And <laughs> right. when When is it coming out, Jamil? This book will be out uh, this fall.
3: So fun. we sent off right. the publisher in the um, uh, middle of February and uh, I've yet to get back the, the technical review, um, but we got a great technical review guy too. I'm real excited about that. And then um, we'll go through that, any touch-ups we need to do, and then uh, it should be there uh, by GABF.
2: Oh, sweet. So uh, you can look
3: you forward can, to this book. You, can, you definitely hunt down Chris White at GABF, have him sign the book. And I'm sure Chris will be at, uh, going to be at the uh, the Brewing Network uh, Anniversary Party in Minneapolis. I think well, so. Well, that's in June, though. We won't have the book then.
4: Yeah. Yeah, you won't have it by then. That's uh, The true. following year. Yeah. I, I, maybe there'll be an official signing at GABF this year, though. Right. Could happen, I mean, right? Because it will be out by then. Yeah, we did that for Brewing Classic Styles, which was a lot of fun. Maybe you can get a shirt signed by White at, uh, yeah. at NHC Have or something. Have sign them your,
3: sign your breasts. Yeah.
2: Yes. There you go. I, I, Jimmy, I still remember what the third day of our signing when, you know, the predominant <laughs> question of people coming up to us was, hey, where's the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that the, the, the question? And we did get a couple of people
3: that asked that, didn't we? Yeah.
2: That, that third day when it was like, kind of like, it wasn't the, the beer <laughs> geeks. You know, <laughs> right, it was just right. like the general public. <laughs> Never heard of it. Yeah.
4: I, had a, I get that sometimes, too. Sometimes people just just fucking with me. At NHC last year, during club night, a lot of people wanted photos. Uh-huh. And finally, sort of toward the end, this couple of guys come up. They go, hey Justin, hey, Justin, can we get a photo? And I go, sure, sure. And then they hand me their camera and turn around and pose. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I loved it. That's never happened to me. Yeah, that one's a good one. Yeah. I, I like the yeah. Where's the Bathroom one, too. That one's good. Yeah. <laughs> All
3: right, so uh yeah, so a lot of this is detailed there's a every last bit of it's detailed in this uh in this upcoming use book So uh uh if you got questions, a lot of stuff you can find on the internet for free. A lot of this information is out there. Um it just takes some, you know, uh searching around. Hopefully we've given you all the the keywords you need to to kind of find some of the details of this, uh, there's a lot of good uh, images and detail on uh, you know plate making plates and slants, uh, both pouring them and, uh, uh, and how to streak them out, how to choose colonies, uh, you know pure culture techniques. Again, you know you search for these phrases and you'll and you'll find the information you need. And then uh, these yeast storage. The the a lot of this freezing yeast and and things like that and yeast storage times, it's not in just wide open information. It's more you know uh, research papers. Those are a little harder to come by, but um, you know you you should still be able to find a lot of those tech, techniques. Uh, Ted Hausdatter, I think he did uh, uh, a nice uh, presentation at uh, NHC in Cincinnati on freezing yeast. And a lot of good information in there and I actually talked to him about this and and the latest and he's the one who pointed me to uh this research paper on uh, not freezing uh just using higher glycerol. So I thought that was really cool. Uh let's see. All right. So we've got our our yeast stored either on pla- plates or slants or oil immersion or we've we've gone to the uh the, Steril the, the, the water sterile water or, or, or freezing. And mm-hmm. um we want to uh, start up. I, I want to brew. Um, you know, let's start discussing the techniques of. Uh, you know, how do I start this up? Let's say, uh, you know, I, I guess it would really matter. Um, you know, whether you s- stored it for a short term or a long term. Would you say, John? Or
2: yeah. Um, in in general, you know, you you're you're looking at standard starter techniques where uh you don't wanna you don't want to drown the yeast in a starter. You know, you can't throw it you can't take an inoculation loop and dip that in a one gallon starter mm-hmm. and expect to get lots of yeast out of it. Right. You'll you, you get
3: some growth, but then mm-hmm. instead of growth you find really, them? <laughs> you're, you're, well instead of growth what you're really getting is fermentation. Yeah. At at some point you you've provided it so much that it's never going to grow past a certain point. It's just going to ferment what it have and you're making beer, you're not growing yeast. Right. Okay, so a, a short storage then if if I've stored my yeast on a plate for you know, less than a month or you know, uh something like that, but eh you pick a colony off you throw it into. I like to use uh, these 50 mil uh, transfer vials. There's a screw top, the blue. If anybody remembers what White Labs used to uh, sell their yeast in, those are transfer vials, 50 mil transfer vials, and they uh, they got a screw on top. You can burn a hole in the top with a you know a hot uh, a paper clip,
4: mm-hmm.
3: cover it over a piece of parafilm. That's how I do it. And then uh, you put 20 mils or 25 mils of uh, of uh, wort in there. You put pick your colony, toss it in there, shake it up, and then that'll grow. You take the results of that, add it to 200 250 mils of uh, wort. Th- that first step, I suggest, especially if, if you've been doing a, if you've been doing shorter storage, it's not as big a deal. But the longer your storage time, uh, or if you're trying to call, uh, grow yeast up from a bottle, something like that. Uh, use uh like a, a a 1020 uh specific gravity wort about uh 5 plato don't use the the more uh, concentrated uh normal starter wort you want a, a gentle you know transition for the yeast and mm-hmm. uh and then go up to your in your next step you can go up to uh you know a 1040 uh, uh you know around a uh type of uh 10 plato wort for your for your starters and then grow up there, and again you can, you know, you go in steps. You can do a factor of ten or whatever it is uh, to get up to your your starter sizes. One of, one of the things that people ask me all the time is, well, how do I know how many cells I have after, uh, you know, when I pick a colony off and grow it up in? You know, it depends on so many factors. I can't tell you. You're going to have to learn to estimate, uh, you know, yeast densities, and uh, or you know, get yourself a. Uh, a microscope and a hemocytometer and, and count them. That's the only way you're really going to know. Uh, you know, on the longer-term storage, you know, a couple issues. One is, you know, viability is lower, so the health of the yeast is probably lower and may be more difficult to start up. Again, important to use a, a lower-gravity starter wort for that. The other is uh, mutation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Long-term storage. So you would... Uh, uh, you know you can grow some up and then you might want to uh, plate it out again to you know using pure culture techniques pick individual colonies do a quick test ferment and, and make sure that uh, you know what you're growing is it seems right
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's the same in, it's kind of the analogy of uh, a starving man you know he hasn't had food for a long time. You don't give him a feast to start with because he's just going to puke it all up. You got to you know start out slow, give him a little you know real simple foods and uh, let them get their health back right. before you really you know start start feeding them and get into massive reproduction.
3: So all their reserves are depleted, their cell walls are you know they may have trouble you know holding back uh, the sugars and things that are uh, you know outside the cell. And if uh put them in a highly concentrated wort, uh the osmotic stress can can be detrimental to the yeast, so you want to give them a chance to kind of build up their their uh their energy so to speak, like John's saying before you give them the a, a richer diet
1: right
2: okay so um so you you sort of recap you said that you um start from a, a plate or a slant with your inoculation loop and you transfer that to, what, 25 milliliters of wort?
3: Yeah, you can go anything from 10 to, you know, 35 mils, I guess.
2: Okay. And then after that's grown for how long? Uh,
3: you know, that should, it depends on, you know, the, how long that was in storage and the health of the, the cells. Um you know, generally 24 hours, it's pretty much done. 24, there's no more growth after 36 hours. Okay. Uh, if you want to wait 48, they build up their glycogen reserves and they do that whole thing. But, um, you know, I wouldn't really wait more than 48.
2: Okay. So 24 to 48 hours right. and then transfer it to 25, 250 milliliters. Right, right. About a, a 10x step. Now, one of the things
3: that you can do, if you have a shaker table, um, you know, you can't really. It's hard to do. Uh, st- they do have stir bars actually for uh, uh, the the beveled tube bottoms. That's why these transfer tubes and all that, they get these beveled bottoms? You can drop in specialized stir bars in there. And you could put it on your your stir plate even. Um, but if you have a shaker table, you can set this this on there, and that also helps with the growth. On a shaker
2: table—that's a washing machine, right? <laughs> right,
3: exactly. <laughs> Unless you're like me and you go on eBay and buy yourself a shaker table. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, you know you can uh, use that to suspend these—you uh, know—smaller versions that are a little harder to, to do on a uh, on a stir plate. once you get up to a certain size, and if you don't have some way of doing that, what you want to do is pick it up every. You know as frequently as you can and give it a little shake give it a little shake give it a little shake and uh it'll it will help with the uh the growth and the procedure procedure that that you're trying to uh grow that yeast with and that uh, you know it, if you do that very often uh you know it'll it'll help a lot so uh if you don't have a shaker table or a stir plate you can always go that route
2: yep okay.
3: And uh, if you are harvesting yeast from one of these uh, frozen cultures, um, you know there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can you can pull out one of these microfuge tubes. You can warm it up in your hand. Um, you can warm it up in a water bath. Uh, you want to warm it up pretty much as as quickly as possible. And then um, you can just take the entire contents and dump that into your your uh your your wort that you're starting it up in or you can uh, you know reach in with a you know a pipette and pipette out like a you know a tenth of a mil and drop that in and you know that will get you going as well.
2: Okay. And um, so at what point do you transfer this you know built up Slant to a regular starter. Did, after the 250 mil stage, or do you go
3: right? See, and that's that's a
2: question a lot of people
3: ask me. At what point is it equivalent to, you know, White Labs vial or a Ye Smack Pack? And it depends on you know, so many factors. But generally, when I do it, I'll do um, you know a off uh, off a, off a, uh, a plate onto to into uh, about twenty five mils then I'll do two fifty and then I'll do a two liter and at the end of the two liter i th- I'm pretty close to most of a a vial or a smack pack, especially if you're doing a, a stir plate then you know you get, you get considerably more growth
2: then you're okay you're now, w- when you're in a two liter do you do you pour that directly into a into a regular stir or do you uh, chill and decant? You know, are are we going to concentrate this yeast at some point?
3: Yeah, I like to, uh, if I can, uh, you know, chill it in the fridge and uh, let all the yeast settle out completely, give it a couple of days, and then decant the spent wort, and then, uh, you know, add more starter wort. And I'll keep doing this until I get to the right, uh, you know, volume that I need. If I'm trying to grow a lot of yeast... I'll separate out some of that yeast and I'll set it aside as storage, and then I'll use a small portion to grow more yeast. Okay, uh, so
2: you're not you're not doing this, you know, slant to pitching a couple of days before brew day. This is a right. week get, long, two week long process. Yeah, you
3: got to give yourself uh, at least a week. I think depends on how much yeast you need to grow. The uh, you know, and and. Uh, uh, you grow this yeast up, and um, the the thing I like to do also once once I get it up to the, the size I want, I've got all my yeast, and it's brew day, and it's, it's sitting in the fridge. I can decant off the spent wort. I add more fresh wort the morning of my brew day. Uh, you know, about four or five hours before uh, I'm going to pitch the yeast, and I don't add enough to like grow it again. But I add like a pint or or so of uh, starter wort. And um, just get the yeast active before yeah. I pitch it, and get a kick you know, yep. yeah, you get you get a, a really great fermentation with that, and you know, the the point is lots of you know the appropriate amount of healthy yeast, grown up, pure culture techniques, you know, a nice uh, sanitary environment, and then uh, you know, get it nice and active before you go, and you know, fermentations will do really well. So, uh, but that 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 should get people pretty close. Uh, okay, but right. you're never really going to know unless you uh, unless you count count the cells. You know that's um, you know it's tricky. If you yeah. want to know what uh, yeast concentrations look like, uh, actually, you take a. This is something I figured out when working on the yeast book. We're trying to figure out ways of teaching people. People always ask about yeast densities, and I, I was thinking about it one day, and I'm like, okay, well, wait. All right, here's a vial of White Labs yeast. If I shake it up, okay, um, that's about 3 billion cells per milliliter density in there. That's what a 3 billion per milliliter slurry looks like. If you take that out and you add, you know, water to it, you know, to a certain volume, I think it's uh, there around 37 mils or something, you add it up to like 50 mils, it's like a 2 billion density. And then, you know, you add... 50 mils water more and you're at 1 billion uh per milliliter density. And those are the kinds of densities you get with slurries generally. So uh uh you know that that can be pretty helpful. And then also I I uh, discovered this uh turbidity thing where if you uh if you put uh yeast in uh in uh, distilled water in a in a clear glass uh, container and uh, if you add yeast to the point where it just goes from looking perfectly clear to just slightly turbid, um, where you can actually see that there's something in there, that's uh, a million per milliliter, I believe. So it's just barely visible, and that's the kind of pitching rate that they use when they uh, when they do uh, uh, re inoculations of beers. Anyways, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll uh, get into some questions from the chat. Back after this.
1: Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong.
0: From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand. Most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now. Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand. The only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter best of all not only does the top tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment but it easily knocks down for long term storage or transport too the top tier brewing stand from blickman engineering learn more at blickmanengineering.com and to find a local blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier
5: Listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this we don't have to talk to each other for three more months To the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. So I'm the professional. <clears throat> You can find our world famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew for Your Dye IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans.
2: Because everyone
1: likes it in a can.
5: Tasty crack cans. Tasty crack cans.
1: Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. This is
4: www.thebrewingnetwork.com. Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have
1: sex. You're listening to The Brewing Network. To your hosts, Jamil Zana Chef and John Palmer, putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong.
3: All right, we're back. We're talking uh, building yeast library, and by no means assists uh, you know everything you need to know in order to do your own yeast library. You know that that could take uh, you know a years worth of shows. Yeah. But uh, hopefully that gives you kind of an overview of the process, some ideas of the the types of things you need to deal with, and some of the things you need to think about as far as you know what 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 uh, strains you would store, and uh, uh, you know things along that lines, and you know some of the information you need to to kind of go further on your own. You could probably kind of piece it together from what we've given you. But uh, I encourage you to do some research, uh, you know, online or, you know, pick up some books. Uh, there are other books out there before, you know, this yeast book that uh, Chris and I worked on. Um, uh, you can pick up, uh, uh, I think, Pierre Rajot, uh yeast culturing, something or other. Um, it's not a great book, but uh, it gave me enough information to get started uh, many years ago. There's a lot of repetition in it, but um, it's still a, a decent book. Well worth the money uh, if you want to get started. And um, just a couple of good websites that do that. I just don't know what they are off the top of my head. And also um, uh, they're doing a Fungus Among Us uh, book, uh, which White Labs and uh, and uh, Yusuf uh, Cherne, uh At at uh, Point, Point. Um, really nice guy helped us out with Canyon Brut. Uh, He uh, also did a lot of that book, and uh, that's good information in there. And you you can pick that up. I think uh, More Beer still sells it. Kind of like. uh, retrieved it from the dead and uh and fixed it up and, and been selling it. So that's that's a that's a good one to get you started. Those two books right there uh should teach you most of what you need to you know do plating and slants and uh building it from there. When it gets into the freezing and stuff like that, um long term storage, uh yeah, hey this this yeast book uh that'll be your ticket right there. <laughs> and I'll I'll get my uh you know, my nickel. Uh and uh there you go.
2: Yeah, we we've needed a, a a good comprehensive you know yeast book for home brewers. Mm-hmm. And I think this one really really fills the bill. Yeah,
3: you helped uh review no. and edit uh my crappy writing to, to make it uh, <laughs> a lot better. A is here, it going to
4: be little. worth uh Jamil's nickel, Palmer? Oh yeah. Did he earn oh, yeah. his nickel? There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think I earned my I nickel. Mean, <laughs> I do. Good. Um, yeah, yeah I, about
3: I, a about a nickel. Maybe maybe yeah. four cents. This this is no round it pant- up.
2: I'm yeah. rounding up. This is no, you know, quickly stapled together pamphlet or you know, loose leaf thing. This is going to be a book.
4: Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's
2: it is a, it is a really useful book on yeast culturing, and it's going to be it's going to be useful for both home brewers and professional brewers.
4: Yeah. You see why it's not being published by the Brewing Network? Then it's not just some stapled <laughs> together.
2: It's practical information.
4: I see.
3: Yeah, good. <laughs> Can't wait. Good. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can see you're lining up to read that one. <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: we'll put, it right. put, we'll put a copy next to the toilet for this you. Is really give, my...
2: give, give one to chat. For, you know, for, chat will read for... it. Chat will read it twice. Chat will read
3: it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Just will tear pages out to use when they're out
4: of so the toilet paper rolls. Kind yeah, of, kind that's of right. <laughs> or when I want to make myself feel smart.
3: <laughs> By using it as toilet paper.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> absorption through the anus. That's
3: right. <laughs> All right. So do, we, do you have any questions from the chat room?
4: Well, just one real question was coming through. Um, a lot of people in there talking about this. But um, it was about, and you covered it a little bit. That guy, 314, is in the chat room, and he brought up um, uh, about fermentations uh, from frozen yeast. So after you've stored it, and it's been frozen for a while, he had read on uh, on somebody's blog that um, that the yeast don't quite ferment right just after being frozen, that you, mm. you sort of have to do a test batch or some sort of a buildup. So right. uh, maybe just a little more elaboration on that.
3: Well, I think that's a, that's a good point. I think that applies actually to any uh, storage and, and propagation from storage, right? So you're, you're storing these cultures, and the longer you store them, the less they are apt to act like you want them to act. Uh, when you start up again. So you really need to, you know, ideally you plate it out again, you pick pure colonies, you do a test batch and, you know, a test ferment and see that they all, you know, ferment the same and that, uh, you know, the t- flavor profile is correct and you should be recording flavor profiles. And this, this is all, you know... So when you go out and you buy yourself a package of White Labs or Y Yeast... And you're saying, oh, it's got to be pennies worth of yeast in here. Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, the packaging is expensive in order to be able to successfully ship the yeast and uh, have it viable at your end. And, you know, the, the uh, homebrew shop's got to make a little bit of money so they don't starve to death and close their doors. So... There's not a whole lot. of It's not like they're, uh, you know, they're they're riding around in, in private jets and stuff. There's a lot of labor that goes into maintaining those pure cultures and ensuring that, you know, again, the, the yeast you get is going to ferment the way that you expect it to ferment. And they're held to a pretty high standard. Anybody, you know, when the fermentation isn't right, they're the first ones that get the blame. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, when you're when you're bringing these yeast back from storage, you really you know it depends on you know what kind of a risk taker taker you are. I'm actually pretty lazy. I know that you should do these uh, test ferments. A lot of times I won't. I'll just grow it up and I'll just ferment something and then damn, what the heck? Oh, maybe it'll be a, a joyous uh, result. But if so, you don't go through these propagation steps and these test steps, yeah, you can you can end up with a, a problem.
2: So, I guess, yeah, that was the question I was thinking of when when you were talking about this. I mean, you do a test ferment, well, is that is the yeast in the test ferment what you pitch to your real batch, or are you are you kind of splitting it off at that point? are you saying, okay, I got my my main growth that I want to check, and you take a a uh-huh. portion of that and do a test ferment. If right. that turns out okay, then you pitch the main amount that you held back.
3: Well, you know, commercially, that's probably what they would do. But um, in the homebrew type of uh, environment, um, I would use that as a propagation stuff.
2: (laughs) Okay. Yep. That's that's what I was kind of thinking, too. Right.
3: Now, I would not, uh, you know, get it stirred, and I wouldn't do all that. And I'd use a, you know, again, I'd use around the same, um, uh, you know, starting gravity of the, the starter wort. But I would make it, you know, a little more beer like and, and then taste it and say, Okay, well that you know, that's good and, and call that, you know, uh, you know, part of a step and and use that yeast off of that. If if everything turned out perfectly off of that liter or two that you're doing mm-hmm. um of of that beer that you're doing and it tasted good, I'd go ahead and, and uh and use that yeast.
2: Okay, I I've got a question. I mean we've talked, Jamil, about you know, repitching yeast cakes and or reusing yeast. Uh, say, you know, you 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 buy your white white yeast or White Labs tube, and mm-hmm. you brew a batch of beer. And you've said in the past that, you know, it's almost until not until the third repitch of that initial vial that mm-hmm. you feel the yeast really hits its stride. Right. Is th- does the same model apply here?
3: Uh, yeah, and, and really, you know, it's interesting. All these little propagation steps, people go, well, okay, there's one step. You know, that should be, you know, I'm repitching, you know, one generation to the next, and, and it really doesn't work that way. It's, um you know, it has to be in, you know, like full-scale batches of beer. That's really um, the only time mm-hmm. it, it seems to have this effect, and, you know, it's it's got to be your regular process, you know, selection um, you know, cause sometimes you, you, are leaving certain yeast behind or you're collecting certain yeast and the way you, you repitch, you re you, you harvest and repitch all that is affecting the ending outcome. And, uh, and until you kind of, you know, do that a few times, it, it, it really doesn't. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's kind of a, uh, a, 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 an interesting thing. And, and actually somebody had a question of, um, you know, if once I get it to that point, if I, you know, plate that out, can I store that condition and that the yeast were in, and you know, will they behave the same from pitch one? Uh, you know, once I I get the yeast, no, because the whole storage and uh, you know regrowing it, it restarts it, the yeah, clock. The, huh? the lab yeast is a lab propagation is completely different than a brewery. Uh, propagation and brewery growth and reuse—it's—it's it's a weird thing, and it's—but you know they're they're two totally different things. No matter how good the lab propagation is and how healthy you know uh, these these yeasts that uh, white labs and white Yeast provide to you, uh, you know of the spectacular health and purity that they provide, <laughs> it's not the yeast for you know. Beer brewing, it it is, but it isn't. You know, it'll do great, but there's a subtle difference between that and once you've repitched several times. Yeah, okay. So, uh, it, it's interesting. A lot of these uh, breweries, they will, uh, you know, they will do their first batch, and then they'll do another batch, or maybe three batches, and then they'll blend them in order to smooth out those differences uh, when they they get a new pitch from the lab, whether it's you know white labs or white yeast or you know their own uh, in house lab uh oftentimes they they'll, they'll hold that batch and uh blend it uh to smooth out that, those subtle differences.
2: Interesting. Okay.
3: Yeah. Cool. All right, I th- I think that was a good show. I think we uh covered a lot of interesting information and uh, uh Mr. Blickman at uh, Blickmanengineering.com uh, got his uh money's worth today. Uh, mm-hmm, that sure he's supplying the show to, to you guys. And uh, if you if you get a chance, uh, go by BlickmanEngineering.com and uh, check out all the fine goods I got there. I know I'm I'm salivating over over uh, many of those, those cool yeah. things. And he's got some great things coming up, too. And uh, if you get a chance, come on out to the uh, National Home Brewers Conference in Minneapolis. It's going to be a lot of fun. Blickman will be there. Uh, Palmer, you'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, yep. Justin, the whole Brewing Network will be there. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun. We'll uh, drink a lot of beer. If you uh, haven't
2: signed up yet, uh, you should do it soon because they're already... It'll sell out. Yeah, it's already into the Overflow Hotel.
3: Yeah, it'll sell out. But but go. It's well worth it. And make sure you get there a day early so you can attend the Brewing Network party. I'll be there. I'll be getting drunk. I'll be getting out of control. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> taking weird photos with people like the woods. Yeah. <laughs> post. Then post on Facebook. You know, I thought that was all personal between us, but apparently it wasn't. Right. You know. And uh, uh, make sure you brew lots of beer and uh, bring it with you. We'll enjoy tasting it. And uh, until next time, uh, make sure to uh, brew strong. Brew strong,
2: everybody.